Effective physician-patient communication is a central clinical function in building a therapeutic physician-patient relationship, which is the heart, and some would say the art of medicine. Hello and welcome to Dynamics High Five Podcast, our take on specific healthcare industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm Mindy McGrath, and I'm joined by my colleagues, co-hosts, and fellow healthcare industry enthusiast, Ryan Hummel. Hey, everybody. And Mike Catone. Hey, guys. And our guests today are Deepa Mishler, Dynamics resident expert on innovation and ways to improve patient care. She's worked in the healthcare space for more than a decade and across all five major sectors in the healthcare. Welcome, Deepa. Hi, guys. And joining us today is also friend of Dynamic, Mike Bookler, Vice President of Patient Experience at Christiana Care Health System. Mike's focus is in driving excellence in patient experience at Christiana, and we can't think of a better guest to join us in this conversation. So welcome, Mike, and thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. In today's episode, we're chatting about the evolving interaction between providers and patients. We'll explore the how it is being done and implemented and discuss whether it is equally important across the healthcare system. And stick around for our parting thought. It's that thing that we've either read, heard, or seen that we'd like to share with you. So without further ado, let's dive in. It's a crowded beehive today, everybody. It is. Exciting. <laughs> um, the whole concept of bedside manner uh, has been around for a long time. I think that our parents, our grandparents have all talked about it, but it really has continued to evolve recently, especially as as technology and new ways of interacting with patients continue to emerge almost every day. So the, that interaction between provider and patient is kind of new, um, but it's always been around. And there is a recognition of the fact that there is a why now, um, a why are we talking about this and, and how parts of this topic. So I'm really excited about this. Yeah, numerous studies support the belief that provider-patient communication is critically important in the delivery of high-quality healthcare. If you look at the root cause of many patient complaints, they're due to the breakdown in doctor-patient communication. It's really a key driver in patient dissatisfaction, and providers have been investing time, money, and resources into this challenge for a long time. Right, and to your point, Mike, I mean, the fact that this has been an ongoing challenge in the industry, um, my question to, to Deepa and Mike is, so it seems that the healthcare system, and health systems in particular, have resources um, recognize that the challenge still exists in terms of how you elevate the interaction and the relationship between a patient and provider. Uh, so how do we sol- really align solutions to address this challenge in an effective manner? You know what, Mindy? As I started looking into this space, I realized that you know the, there are many, many solutions to really designed to attack this problem. And that many, many major systems are creating their own frameworks and really spending a ton of resources around this, yet challenges persist. So it was fascinating to just really take a step back and look at it and understand and realize that, you know what, physicians are human beings. They, that, you know, while we say, oh, structurally there's lack of time or that, you know, they're uh, really encountering super challenging conditions and that's why you know, things fall apart. The reality may be that we all have different learning styles and that perhaps organizations need to really recognize that and really treat each individual to maximize their potential. And there's also this um, sort of a misnomer that 
it's a talent. That's a, you know, people are bred with um, good communication skills, and that it's just it's not something that you can polish or hone. But in fact, it is a skill that can be honed. That's something uh, people can focus on and learn and get better at. So, I believe that it's the mix of the two: how they learn and that the notion of understanding why they should learn and that there's an opportunity to learn. Mike, I'd love for you to uh, share your experiences and uh, perspective. Well, I think that that call out to why is critically important because I think that oftentimes this can get uh, characterized as, as fluff or fluffy stuff. But in fact, if you, and as Mike Catone referenced, there are numerous studies that emphasize the, that strong provider-patient communication and effective provider-patient communication contributes to more positive clinical outcomes. So I think that anchoring on that why is the first step and making sure that's evident. And I don't know that we as patient experience folks do a good enough job um, kind of painting that story and, and, and sharing that story and making it that compelling. Um, so I think that that foundation of why is critically important. And then if you think about communication, it's, it's really, it, there's a lot of um, different elements to it, right? There's the, the stuff we often hear about around empathy and connecting with patients in a very empathetic uh, kind of fashion. But, but there's also um, other skills uh, related to you know, potentially managing difficult conversations um, and, and how you have a really challenging discussion from an end-of-life uh, scenario and some specific skills and tactics you might want to use there. And then similarly, uh, there's opportunities to work together as a team behind the scenes so that patients, ex- the, the communications you express feel connected um, to the patient. Um, so it's, that's not necessarily you know, anything to do with empathy or empathy-related skills, but it's actually about coordination um, kind of behind the scenes and making sure that the communications uh, come through in a really uh, cohesive, kind of connected fashion. Yeah. And Mike, one of the things that you said that um, just now around outcomes, when you look at how the healthcare system is changing, I guess my question to, to both of you would be, is the focus on patient-provider um, interaction even more important in today's evolving ecosystem than maybe it was 70 years ago when we were really immersed in a fee-for-service world. And now we're moving to something that really is about performance and better clinical outcomes. So does this become part of the linchpin of making sure that those clinical outcomes are really driven by these types of interactions? Yeah, I, I think it's, um, I don't know that it's it's more important necessarily, but I think that it's because of the way medicine has evolved and you know you have so many different types of specialists and different types of kind of caretakers and, and roles and caregivers involved that I think the opportunities to collaborate, the need to collaborate, I think has really been, uh, it's, it's now more prevalent than it ever has been. Mm-hmm. And so I think from, from that perspective, I think because we have a more complicated system, it's almost that, that's where things have changed. So it's, it's not more important. I think it's just a little different and maybe a little more challenging than it used to be, especially if you consider the role of the medical record in all of this, right? Too often, um, you know, attendings and specialists communicate via the notes um, versus kind of the old school way, pre-medical record and actually having a conversation. So I, I think it's the way that kind of the industry has evolved that is making this, um, this emphasis a little more necessary but it's not, it's not more important. It's just a little different. And to add to that, Mike, you're absolutely right that there is you know, complexity now in the environment where the, just the care team is 
uh, you know, significant number of um, individuals involved with their own schedules, you know, interacting with the patient at multiple times where, you know, one when one provider enters the room, they don't necessarily know what the last provider may have said. So, you know, and for the patient, sometimes they can get mixed messages and um, it leads them to really feel like, wow, you know, who do I believe and do they really know what they're doing if they're not coordinated? So it was fascinating to understand that that communication is really at the crux. Uh, it's almost at a culmination of an event. So all the preparation that needs to happen for that communication to the patient to be effective and, uh, and clear, you know, requires the provider to not just really think about communication, but really planning, prepping, you know, having the information that uh, other providers may have contributed to. So, so it was really interesting uh, in our research to find that communication is not just about delivery of a message, but really, you know, organizing and being efficient and really having a notion of what is the plan of attack here collectively as a team. So number one, having the plan. Number two, really being able to communicate that, you know, that uh, em in an empathetic manner that, you know, the whole team is looking out for you and that we are working together. And then the complexity of what's entered in the system, so needing to really interact uh, in a physical manner, but also, you know, in a digital manner at the same time is something that presents a challenge. But to go back to your original question, Mindy, around, you know, is communication, um, the need for better communication more heightened now? You know, I think if we were to look at, um, you know, back in the day when providers were really the GP going to the home of a patient, you know, they knew everything about the patient. They had been following them for years. It was a different, different level of uh, interaction relationship. Now what happens is sometimes the most needy patients um, come into the ED. They may not have a medical history. And you have a very small uh, window of time to impact and to um, educate and to get that collaboration with the patient. So, you know, definitely challenging times. So there's more of a need. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned, Deepa, I mentioned earlier or at the beginning around the term bedside manner. And I think, you know, the term patient centricity is, is used much more frequently these days in the industry. So I'm really interested um, in both you and Mike Puckler's stance on, you know, what, what, some, what are some of the factors that lead to good patient centric, excuse me, patient centric um, practices? Cause, because I think the, the term patient centricity although it's a mouthful for me to say, it's pretty clear what it means. It's the patient in the center of things. But I'd love to hear your, your take on that. One of the key uh, opportunities that exists, I think, is around teachback. So, so teachback is a well-established uh, model for ensuring that patients understand uh, whether it's their medications, their plan of care, et cetera. And, and so for teachback, what that is, is it's essentially you ask the patient, to relay back to you in, in their own words what you just explained to them. And it's, it's a proven model to in, help ensure that communications land. And I think it's a very patient-centric uh, way to communicate. Uh, and it's something that at Christiana we're working to embed into how we communicate with patients across the board because it, because it is so effective. Um, so it's really kind of putting yourself in the position of the patient and, and uh, identifying opportunities and ways to communicate in a way that you know are going to land effectively. Yeah, and I was just going to ask you, Mike, about 
just in terms of, of your role and how you're amplifying these efforts around patient provider relationships, like what are some of the things that you're learning as you go along and, and kind of starting to either adopt or either turn up the volume a little bit more? Yeah, I, I, it's um, kind of going back to some of my earlier comments. It's, it's complicated. It's complicated, and it's complicated because of the way that we deliver care today. Um, so TeachBack is an example, working very closely with our folks, our folks in nursing education. And we're going to start uh, from the nursing perspective, but this is a model that, that needs to kind of apply across the board from a, a TeachBack perspective. And then I do think that we have opportunities around how we collaborate and coordinate across different caregivers, different providers, to ensure that the information is known and understood and shared prior to engaging with the patient. It's, it's, I mean, thinking about Ryan's question around patient centricity, it's really challenging if you're a patient and you're hearing two different messages from folks on your care team who are both doctors, right, and they don't necessarily have an appreciation for who's the consulting physician versus the attending, et cetera. They just know you're both doctors and they're hearing two different messages. So, so working on how do we streamline that collaboration and make sure that collaboration happens consistently every single time is something we're actively working on. It's, it's very, very important to us. And Mike, I wanted to, you know, add to that by saying, you know, teach back is something that really is holistic, just in terms of, you know, the, not just really looking at what the information is being shared, but really getting an understanding of how it was received on the patient's end or the family's end. Another thing that we really discovered was that there are, really small things that the provider can do to set the context, to set the stage for this active listening. And you know, we discovered things like commit to sit. By the very nature of the provider pulling a seat and uh, sitting next to the patient makes the patient feel that they are you know, invested in them and that they have spent more time and have paid more attention. So it was fascinating that while they could spend actually fewer minutes uh, with that patient, they will, the patient will walk away feeling like, wow, my provider really cares. We really had a great, deep conversation, um, and I understand what they were saying. So that was a fascinating thing to see, that there are techniques that can be applied um, in, in top of the actual message to really you know, prepare the patient to make them more open for conversation, really break down that barrier of fear or lack of trust. Yeah, I think there are opportunities to, to marry techniques like that with, um, and, and I'll, I'll call those you know, kind of techniques that don't necessarily take any more time. They're just simple things you can do to, to marry those with um, more complicated or in, intensive kind of interventions uh, around something like a teach back, for example, that, that will take more time but it's proven to be effective. And I think it's about trying to find the right mix of both of those different types of things to be successful. Yeah, so following up on that, I mean, there's been a lot of, obviously, news in over the course of the last couple of years around physician burnout. So are we just piling on one more thing for physicians to do that could contribute to higher burnout when we're asking them to do things like sit down and do teach back or take the time to to coordinate between physicians, those communications that are now typically being captured in the notes? Like, how do you think that impacts the physician burnout element of, of this? It, it, it can't be more. It, it, it can't be more. If it's more, we are failing. I think it has to be, all of these things have to be designed in consideration uh, of efficiency and effectiveness. 
Um, so yes, while teach back may take a few more minutes, it actually is a more efficacious way to communicate and should save time down the line. Um, you know, taking the time to sit down, for example, again, the result and impact that that has on the provider patient relationship is worth the investment. So there, there has to be a really compelling and clear ROI or, or we're just we're missing the mark. It, it can't be more for doctors, for nurses, for any frontline caregiver. It, it just can't be. Hey, hey, Mike Puckler, I just that was a great segue. I was going to ask this question earlier, but you kind of started it when you talk about efficiency. So you're talking about efficacious. You're talking about add value. Are there opportunities in that patient and provider visit, and that's in the general sense, to take something away that's not being effective now? And, and you know, the idea of commit to sit or sitting down and creating that psychologically safe environment. Um, I wonder, are, are you actively or are health systems actively looking to remove things from that visit that may not be working? I think that the, so the, the short answer is yes. Um, but what that, what that is, is a really, really challenging question, right? So it's, I mean, because I, I think that I would like to think the low-hanging fruit has been picked off the tree, mm-hmm. right? Because it's, it's a very, very um, tight, intense environment, and there's um, not a whole lot of, a lot of obvious waste that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, thinking about it in terms of um, being more efficient around certain flow initiatives, for example, or how resources move throughout the system, you know, thinking some of the classic, you know, the eight wastes, right? And how do you reduce, um, you know, unnecessary motion, th- that kind of stuff. Um, we're actively looking at those types of things. But I guess it's not necessarily specific to the communication space. That's right. Uh, it's just kind of in general, how do we, how do we get a little more, little more streamlined? And it was a fascinating thing to see when uh, we surveyed, you know, a full set of providers at a very large health system. We recognized that each individual provider has a very different lens on what is important and how they go about what is most efficient and optimal for them. So it's really that mix of, you know, the the very human nature of individuality and the need for a team to be flowing and working efficiently. Where we really honed on was to see where are the common themes? What resonates with almost everybody and what should be really natural for them to adopt? So so we looked at more, you know, how to make things better than really elimination. So I'm wondering how does a health system actually interface with a, a physician, a provider who doesn't necessarily see the value in connecting at that human level and provide and making changes to the way that they actually appear at the bedside? How does a health system take that on, show that there's value, and kind of educate that um, to the provider? Yeah, and, and so on one hand, I would like to I would like to think that there are no physicians across the country or world that that don't see that that value, um, but I, but I think to some of Deepa's earlier comments, there's different levels of proficiency that exist, and this is where I think going back and connecting to that why is really important, and and there are different whys in this space that are, that are compelling and meaningful. I think for a clinical population, talking about the the positive clinical effect and outcome of effective communication is, is a way to enter into that conversation in a really productive fashion. Um, because if someone isn't um, necessarily appreciating the human element as much, leading with that why isn't going to work out that great. Um, but, it, but if you lead with some of the, the clinical elements of it, um, that you know, patients that experience uh, a, a more um, productive 
communication from their provider tend to adhere to their medication regimen more frequently. Like that's the kind of stuff that I think can really help change that conversation a little bit. And we've seen studies that really show that when patients have excellent relationship with their providers, their outcomes are better. So, you know, there's evidence out there now that um, we're able to share with physicians that really show that it's not just a feel-good thing, that there is tangible evidence. And at the same time, physicians uh, who are experiencing burnout, once they have better relationship, not just with the patient and the families, but with their peers and their other caregivers and the team members, it really helps them as well. So, you know, so while, you know, going back to your earlier question, Mindy, the physician burnout is definitely a challenge. And, you know, any new thing we do, we add to the plate, feels like, oh, it's adding to the problem. But there are benefits that are inherent in this uh, approach that, you know, going back to uh, Mike's point around the why, we need to be clear about for the physician that, you know, there is a benefit, a win-win for both physician and the patient. This is spectacularly interesting. I'm, like, really fascinated by it because... It just sounds like there is, well, A, a lot of complexity, but on the surface you think, oh, this seems like it's something that should just happen naturally. And, I mean, clearly it's been a challenge that's been ongoing for a while. Um, so I'm going to be interested to see kind of how this this kind of works its way through. Uh, we could definitely talk about this all day. In fact, we probably will be talking about this all day because I think we're so collectively curious. But it is time to wrap up this episode of the High Five podcast. Um, before we leave, though, I wanted to ask Mike and Deepa, any parting thoughts or things that you just want to leave with listeners be before we wrap it up? I, I guess from my perspective, it's um, it's about this marriage between the why, um, this, the individual kind of unique skills that, that folks bring to the table and trying to meet them where they are, right, about kind of not forcing a one-size-fits-all approach onto folks. And then combining that with a, a real healthy consideration and concern around the provider burnout. Um, so, so again, it, it can't be about more. It has to be about different. I think that's the, that's the sweet spot. Um, it's easy to solve this with more, but more is not sustainable. Um, so, so that's the that, that's what's what makes it complicated and really, frankly, a lot of fun to work on. And Mike, I would love to add to that by saying, you know, there are many more channels now out there, many more educational materials that are out there that should be really fun and interesting for providers to consume. It's somehow helping them navigate through this mass of content. You know, really saying, here's a really great podcast as you're driving in listen to this these stories and how your peers have you know dealt with similar scenarios um, get some tips and tricks something that will help them uh, not feel like um, that they're alone but also that you know they're, they're learning valuable skills in a in a manner that doesn't take away from their day-to-day so I think there's a lot of opportunities uh, given the innovation um, with where the digital media is going where um, different tools are available for us to, for health system to leverage and think about channeling this differently. Yeah, great points. Thanks for leaving us with those summary tips. Um, Deepa, Mike, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today on High Five. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks. And let's make sure that we touch base next year to see how things are going. That sounds great. I hope to not be a stranger. We hope you're not either. You're always welcome here. Thanks, Mindy. This was so fun. 
And now it's time for our parting thought. Mike, you want to kick us off? Sure. So surprise, surprise. It's about technology. Technology. Yes. Yes. Could it's you, always about technology. You, could you imagine? Um, so my parting thought is about a report that came out recently that Apple is looking to start manufacturing an augmented reality headset late 2019 or early 2020. And one of the reasons, for listeners who don't exactly know what augmented reality is, it's basically placing a digital digital layer on top of the real world. So virtual reality, you're sort of in a different world and you're experiencing it. Augmented reality, you are in the physical room or place that you're in and there's a digital layer placed on top of it. So you can actually see, think about a, a heads-up display where you might see your speed projected onto your windshield. That's sort of what you would experience within augmented reality. The reason that this is so exciting for me is because I think augmented reality is has limited use cases now because you have to use your hand to actually experience that, to hold up your phone and to look through your phone basically into the real world. And the idea of having it on your face and having both hands free, uh, it really makes me think that the applications for that are limitless. Um, and what they're, the report says what they're trying to do is use a tethered device to do all of the processing and um, connectivity services, location services, things like that. So this would really represent a big shift from current technology where you have a big piece of computing power onto your head. This could be a really lightweight thing that I, I think could be limitless, not only in healthcare, but in you know all industries. Yeah, it's really cool. My first thought as soon as you were talking about this was just surgical. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ha. Training. Yeah, training. I mean they could like a... they could train on more effective bedside manner. Yeah. Right. I mean it's so fascinating. Um, so my parting thought is about a recent report released by Medscape regarding physician burnout, although as Ryan and I have talked, uh, provider burnout is probably a larger topic. Uh, however, this article is specific to physicians. So burnout is typically defined as long-term, unresolvable job stress with feelings of being overwhelmed, cynical, detached from the job, and just feeling a lack of personal accomplishment and exhaustion. And physicians have reported a number of factors that they feel contribute to feeling this type of burnout that we're hearing much about in the healthcare market. The top five contributors were too many bureaucratic tasks, spending too many hours at work, increasing computerization of practice, electronic health records. They cited a lack of respect from administrators and or other employers. They cited a lack of respect from colleagues and insufficient compensation or reimbursement. So long hour, hours had a strong correlation with burnout, with more hours worked contributing to a much higher report around burnout. And while physicians may be used to working long hours, the increasing use of electronic health records and just the increasing amount of burdensome administrative tasks seem to be compounding this issue. So that was an interesting study. They had a lot of data in there. So if you get some time, um, I would definitely encourage you to check it out if you're in interested in this topic of physician burnout. That's great. Um, my, my parting thought, you know, just like Mike Catone, we're not surprised when he talks about technology. We're not surprised when I talk about dogs. Uh, so how does that relate to healthcare? And my parting thought, well, there was a recent study uh, done by the University of Pennsylvania uh, around a onslaught or an, a significant increase of of injuries in the last 13 years with senior citizens 65 and older. 
um, especially around upper extremities and broken bones. And the study goes on to talk about the, um, there's one broad root cause, and that is the increased physical activity that is typically, um, we'll call it prescribed by physicians um, from both a behavioral standpoint and a physical standpoint, but more specifically around walking dogs. So there is a, a significant, and the reason why I bring this up is because it, it could have some you know, exponential issues around costs and about behavior changes around walking leashed dogs and increased broken hips. It was something like twice the amount of fractures were seen based on walking leashed dogs versus others. So, you know, although we all love the idea of increased physical behavior around walking dogs, there probably needs to be some corrective action or some sort of awareness and consciousness around that. So I, I, I highly recommend you take a look at it. Either Google it. it was, I found it on Science Daily. Uh, it's a, just a good read. This concludes today's High Five podcast, and we would love to hear from you about our episode today or other topics that may be on your mind. So please feel free to reach out to us at 888-Vynamic and share your message. And until our next cast, have a great day.